How's everybody doing? All right. Everyone have a good spring break? Did anyone do anything neat? I don't expect you to answer that. That'd be weird, wouldn't it? The thousand people, yes, just talking back to me at once. That'd be a little chaotic. Uh, so anyways, um, all right. That was a bad opener, wasn't it? I'm going to rethink that for the 11. Glad you guys are here. We're starting, <laughs> We're starting a new book of the Bible, one that I bet a lot of you have never read. Um, and I've been, I'm just going to confess something. I've taught this book of the Bible a couple of times, and I've been saying it incorrectly for about 10 years now. I always said Habakkuk, it's Habakkuk, and so I'm going to mess this up a lot today. In fact, I'm going to call Habakkuk Habby quite a bit. Uh, it's actually in the PowerPoint. Um, one, because it's just easier for, for me to say, and two, I just think I'm going to be really good friends with a lot of these authors of the Bible one day um, when I get to heaven. I don't know why. Uh, you know, when I talk about like Paul and stuff, I'm like, I just feel like Paul's going to want to hang out with me when I get to heaven. And, um, and so, is, uh, so is Habakkuk. He's going to want to hang out with me too, especially now that I say his name correctly. So uh, anyways, we just got done with the book of Revelation. And the last time I taught the book of Revelation was 2013, I think, and I followed it up with this book. And the reason why is one, I, I'd like to go back to Old Testament books. Two, you're going to see some similarities in these two books. Now, this is a very, very different book of the Bible. Very, very different. It's basically a conversation from a, a, a minor prophet, and I'll get to that here in a second, a minor prophet named Habakkuk and his conversation with God. It's very short. And if you have your Bible, it's the third to the last book of the Old Testament. If you're having a hard time finding it, it's a, it's a small book. It's kind of tucked away in there amongst some other smaller books of the Old Testament. And let me tell you a little bit about it before we pray and we actually get started in the text. The author is not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. But for a man that's not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible, there's quite a following of this minor prophet. And when we say minor prophet, that doesn't mean that he's any less than anyone else that's contributed to the Bible. It means that his contribution is smaller. It's a minor book versus something like Isaiah that is really, really lengthy and really, really deep. And that's a major prophet, okay? Now, his name, Habakkuk, means to embrace, which is interesting to me because there's a lot of hard things in this very short book that are difficult to embrace. They're hard for us to hold on to. He's going to come out, when we read this chapter here in a second, man, he comes out guns blazing. And you're almost like, whoa, man, like settle down. You're talking to God here. And so it's hard for us to embrace this book because it brings up some very difficult questions. Habakkuk was also very well known amongst the Jewish people. All kids would have been familiar with the book of Habakkuk. Uh, the adults would have been familiar. It had quite a, a, almost like a cult following, if you will, amongst the Jewish people. And what's interesting about this book versus all the other prophetic books, books of prophecy, is most prophets speak on behalf of God, right? The prophet says, hey, people, God says this. Habakkuk is almost the opposite. He says, hey, God, the people are saying this. So he's speaking on behalf of the people more than he's speaking on behalf of God. It's very, very interesting. Now, Habakkuk predicted a major invasion. One of the reasons why this book has validity is he predicted something that eventually took place, and that was the invasion by the Babylonians. It'll call them the Chaldeans. He also addressed cultural issues 
uh, governmental issues. He asked God, why is there so much injustice and why aren't you dealing with it the way I would like you to deal with it? And so through these hard questions, Habakkuk actually gets closer to God. One of the things we're gonna learn in this book is there's nothing wrong with asking God hard questions. There's nothing wrong. Of course we do it with respect. We do it when we have a relationship, but there's nothing wrong with saying, God, what the heck? Why is this happening the way it's happening, right? Okay, so that's one of the themes. The major theme of this very short book is simply faith. It is simply faith. In chapter two, kind of the pivotal passage in this short book, it's only three chapters, is in verse four of chapter two where it talks about living by faith. The secondary theme, kind of the, the, the hidden theme in this book of the Bible is honesty. We're gonna see that he is extremely honest. This was very influential on Paul who wrote 70% of the New Testament. The book of Habakkuk was influential with John Calvin and Martin Luther and Huss and the Reformation leaders in the 15th and 16th uh, centuries. A very, very influential book. And what's crazy is, is we get, as we get into this today, this book of the Bible was written 2,600 years ago. And it sounds remarkably similar to the culture that we live in right now. We're going to read this today and you're going to say, wow, that sounds like the United States. Sounds like the culture of the world right now. And it's fascinating. People have not changed much in the last 2,600 years. We've gotten a little bit more creative with how we do evil things, but we have not changed much. Um, a very wise man once said, there's nothing new under the sun, right? There's not. We've been making the same mistakes for a long time, and we're gonna see this, all right? So if you have a Bible, like I said, it's the third to the last book of the Old Testament. If you wanna turn there, very, very short. We'll do chapter one and one verse of chapter two. If you have the notes handout, everything I say will be in there. Everything will be on the screens. And then also, if you have a smartphone, the Experience Community app, if you download that, click on service times, sermon notes, everything is there. Very, very handy, okay? All right, so I'm gonna pray. Uh, we might get a little sassy today because it's a very, very straightforward book, and um, we'll see where God takes us, okay? All right. Lord Jesus, God, we love you. We just want to tell you thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, that we have a place that we can read your word out loud, that we can study, that we can pray, that we can hang out with each other, God. There's no fear of persecution or anyone shutting our doors, God, or throwing us out. We thank you for the freedoms that we have, God. Lord, we thank you for this church, and we pray that you bless us, God, this body of believers. We also pray that you bless every church in our city, God. Right now, there's a bunch of churches, Lord, that are having service, and we pray that you bless their leadership. God, expand them, grow them, grow your kingdom through the churches of this community, Lord. God, we pray that you bless the nonprofits we work with, and we pray, Father, that everything we do this morning, that it, that it sharpens us, and that ultimately it makes you proud and gives you honor, God. We love you, we thank you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, here we go. It's gonna come out quick, all right? The pronouncement that the prophet Habakkuk saw. How long, Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen or cry out to you about violence and you do not save? Why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Oppression and violence are right in front of me. Strife is ongoing and conflict escalates. This is why the law is ineffective 
and justice never emerges. For the wicked restrict the righteous, therefore justice comes out perverted. (laughs) Hardcore, man, like right out of the gates. Now, typically, books of prophecy will come out with these very kind of lengthy and beautiful kind of uh, intros that the author gives. He gives the purpose of the prophecy and who he is and all this stuff. Habakkuk doesn't do any of that. Just comes out and says, God, what the heck, right? And he starts this prophecy, this conversation that he's having with God. Now he says he has a pronouncement. Now a pronouncement simply means a burden. Basically, Habakkuk is saying there's something that is heavy on me. There's something that is weighing on my heart and on my mind, and I've got to share it. I've got to write it down. I've got to communicate this to the people around me, this conversation that I'm having with God. Now, unlike other prophets, Habby opens up with a question for God rather than a command from God. So again, most prophets say, hey, people, this is what God says. And again, Habakkuk does it the opposite. He says, God, this is what we say. This is what we're thinking right now. We have these questions. Now listen, this is not because he's disrespectful. It's not because he doesn't love God. He loves God. He respects God. And so what we see in this book is we see this very fascinating balance of love and respect, but also boldness to approach God and ask him hard questions. And what we learn is this. God is not offended by hard questions. If we have a relationship with God, God is not surprised or shocked. I'm gonna go even out on a limb a little bit. I don't believe God is upset or shocked when we're angry at the things he does. Now, that doesn't mean that we are to be disrespectful, but if we have a relationship with him, there are countless times during my time as a Christian, especially after starting this church, where I have looked up and said, God, I don't know what in the heck you're doing. You have to help me understand. There have even been times where I'm like, God, I'm not happy with you right now. Help me understand. And so we see that there's nothing wrong with asking God hard questions. In fact, I would say that God gets upset when we go to outside sources versus going to him. When we have hard questions, go to the word of God. Nothing wrong with all these Christian books. I talked about that last week and upset. I got two mean faces on my, on my live feed because I talked about the target lady. My God. Anyways... <laughs> because I didn't know her name, mean face. (gasps) Anyways, there's nothing wrong with supplemental material, but if you want to know what the truth is, go to the word of God, the inspired word of God. Go to that. And so Habakkuk says this. He says, Lord, how long? We have actually seen this question in the book of Revelation. If you remember, when the martyrs are in heaven, they look at God and say, God, how long? How long until you inflict justice on these evil people? We read that in Revelation. Habakkuk says the same thing. He says, God, how long? How long do I have to look at this evil? How long does this injustice go? It says this question over 60 times in the Bible. There's only 66 books. 60 times in the Bible where it says, God, how long? Now, Habakkuk had heard the stories of God's power. He grew up as a little boy hearing that the evil Egyptians had been wiped out at the Red Sea when Moses crossed. He had heard about the prophets of Baal being humbled by the fire coming down from heaven. He knew God could do it. 
He was just wondering why God hadn't done anything yet. If you're a Christian in here, I bet you've thought the same thing. We hear about healing, we hear about miracles, we hear about God's power, and we're like, God, why aren't you showing up right now, right? Why aren't you doing that? Habakkuk also says that oppression and violence are right in front of me. It has gotten worse, it has escalated. the, The evil was visibly right in front of us. The culture had become violent. The court systems were corrupt. The people were always accusing each other. Sound familiar? Basically, the value system of culture had been completely deteriorated. It had fallen apart. Now, what was hard for Habakkuk is he had seen culture at its best. Those of you who are old enough to remember 30, 40 years ago, when you could let your kids go out and ride their bicycle in the summer. I I remember when I was a kid, literally my mom, I would go out when I was 10 years old on my bike. My mom would say, just be home by dark, right? Be gone for seven or eight hours and my mom didn't have to worry about me. Nowadays, we live on a cul-de-sac. I wouldn't let my 10-year-old girl get out of the cul-de-sac without me to save my life because times are different. They're dangerous, they're violent. There's so much evil around. Now for Habakkuk, he lived during the time of a king named Josiah, one of the greatest kings in the Bible, one of the greatest spiritual awakenings of all of God's people came under Josiah. But when Josiah's time ended, the leader that followed was not a good man. And so evil followed with him, disarray, culture fell apart. Again, haven't we seen this in our own culture? And that's not a shot at our president or even the last president. But those of us who are old enough to remember when times were a little bit safer, a little less dangerous, right? Culture was a little less violent, right? It's hard for us to see those things. So here's something I'm gonna do today. I'm gonna ask you a lot of questions and I'm not gonna give you any answers, right? So this is gonna be the start of that. During the little portion that I just read, here's a couple of questions that I thought of, and I don't have all the answers to these. The first one is this. Has God burdened us with something to share? Has God placed something on your heart? Has God placed something in your mind that maybe you're to document or maybe you're to tell your neighbor, maybe you're to tell your family or your spouse, is there a burden that God has given you? Let me ask this. How does the Christian address injustice? Let's, let's talk about a hot button issue like abortion. How should Christian respond to that? Okay, let's just say for argument's sake that all of us believe that abortion is wrong, that it's not a good thing. Well, how do we handle that? Do we call people baby killers? Do we stand out and protest? Do we throw Molotov cocktails at the, the, the different places that perform these things? Is that the way Christians should respond? How do we respond to injustice? How do we respond? How do we communicate in a culture that has different values than us? Do we retreat? Do we point at people and call them evil, awful things? The Bible says not to return evil for evil. Do we do that? How do we communicate with a culture that thinks differently than we do? Here's maybe the most important question to open this lesson up with. Do we have a close enough relationship with Jesus Christ to be honest with him, right? You know, not anyone can just shake their fist and say, God, what the heck? We have to have a deep relationship. It's when you have a really close relationship with a friend or a brother that you can be 100% honest. We need to have that kind of relationship with God. Do we have that? 
I don't know. So Habakkuk spoke, now God is gonna answer, okay? God says, look at the nations and observe. Be utterly astounded, for I am doing something in your days that you will not believe when you hear about it. God says, look, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter, impetuous nation that marches across the earth's open spaces to seize territories not its own. They are fierce and terrifying. Their views of justice and sovereignty stem from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards and more fierce than wolves of the night. Their horsemen charge ahead. Their horsemen come from distant lands. They fly like eagles, swooping to devour. All of them come to do violence. Their faces are set in determination. They gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and rulers are a joke to them. They laugh at every fortress and build siege ramps to capture it. Then they sweep by like the wind and pass through. They are guilty and their strength is their God. Now Habakkuk thought God was distant, that he wasn't listening. But God not only tells Habakkuk that he's listening, he tells him, I'm going to deal with the evil you're referring to, but I'm gonna deal with it in a way that you would have never guessed. Now listen, we often feel like the world is out of control. I don't know if anyone else does, but I do. I read the news, and my wife reads the news almost every single day, and it's terrible, right? I mean, you hear awful things. Husband cheats on his wife, and instead of just leaving her, he murders the whole family, right? And these things are almost common practice, school shootings and violence and awful, awful things. And you sit back and you're like, God, we are out of control. Now, here's the thing, guys. And I said this six billion times in 2016. Regardless of how violent the world gets, regardless if there's a Republican or Democrat in the White House, regardless of economic collapse, regardless of World War III, Jesus Christ is still on the throne and will be there forever. So in 2020, I'm gonna say it six billion more times, regardless of who's in the White House, regardless of what happens, Jesus Christ is sovereign, he knows what he's doing, and he will always be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We need to remember that when times get dark. So God challenged Habakkuk, he said, look around, man observe, because what you're going to see is going to blow your mind. It's going to utterly astound you. God was going to make a massive shift in culture and by means that Habakkuk would have never guessed. What God was going to do was he was going to allow an enemy army to rise up and inflict justice on the evil people of God. Sometimes justice even comes through our enemy through bad people. God will even use evil people sometimes to balance things out and inflict justice. That's what happens in this book. So who are these evil people, these Chaldeans? This was a nation, it was a people. Look at how God himself describes them. Swifter than leopards, but like wolves of the night, right? That they come in and they swoop in and they capture people like they're picking up sand. They are ruthless, violent, hyper-aggressive people that were conquering the world at this time. 
the army was led by a young man named Nebuchadnezzar. If you've ever read the book of Daniel, right? We talk about him a lot, that Daniel worked for this man, that this man was the leader of the Babylonian empire. So if you remember from the book of Revelation, the last evil empire will be called the New Babylon. This gives you an idea, right, of what the first Babylonian empire looked like. God says they've come to do violence. Now, this is very important. The Jewish people, the people of God, had become violent towards each other. And because they had become violent towards each other, they were going to reap what they had sown. The Babylonians were vicious people. But what had happened, listen to this, the people of God had created a culture of violence, and now God was going to give them violence. We live in the United States, one nation under God is what we say. We claim 70% allegiance to Christianity, and we are so violent. Our media is exceptionally violent. We sit back in shock and horror when a kid goes into a school and shoots the place up, and these same children, their parents, buy them games where they can go up to an old lady in a car, pull her out, beat her, steal her car, and we find that to be entertainment and fun. And we wonder why the crap happens that happens. We sit back in shock and horror when someone goes into a nightclub, kills 30 or 40 people, and we say, how can this happen? It happens because we are enamored with violence everywhere around us. We love it. The best thing, like, you know, right, when people even watch, like, NASCARs, you're just hoping that someone will wreck, right? Hoping someone to get hurt. That's why, you know, there's more wrecks caused on the interstate when there's another wreck because we want to see carnage. We want to see violence. We're so drawn to it. Our entertainment, our sports, everything. And God's saying, if you want violence, I'll give you violence. It sounds eerily similar to us right now in the United States. We have turned on each other. We hate each other. There's so much division and strife, and the whole time we become more and more arrogant. Look how powerful we are. We're the greatest people on planet Earth. No one matters from us. God bless us, and no one else that looks different from us. And we're going to reap what we are sowing if we are not careful. We're going to be humbled in some way. I know this is offending some of you right now, because some of you worship the United States more than you worship Jesus Christ himself. But God is going to humble this one nation under God if we are not careful, if we don't get a grip on our culture and what we're teaching our children and what we're allowing to happen around us. So as Christians, brothers, sisters, are we aware of the shift that is taking place, not just in the world, but in our own country? Are we aware of the shifts that are taking place within Christianity and it's amazing to me, most of us don't know if the shift that is taking place is good or not good because we've never read the Bible. We don't know if the shifts that are taking place in culture, in denominations, in Christianity, we don't know if it's a good thing. We are praising things that are evil because some of us are so biblically illiterate, we don't know what's right and what's wrong. There's a shift happening. Do you know if it's a good thing or a bad thing? When it's a bad thing, when things are going in an evil direction, what is our source of comfort? What is our source of wisdom? Where do we get our answers? Where do we get our strength? From Fox News? From CNN? You know, there's an agenda there. 
There's subjectivity. You need to get to something that is objective. You need to go back to the Bible, learn the truth. That should be our source of strength. Okay, next part, I'm sorry. Habakkuk says, are you not from eternity, Lord my God, my holy one? You will not die. Lord, you appointed them to execute judgment. My rock, you destined them to punish us. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil, and you cannot tolerate wrongdoing. So why do you tolerate those who are treacherous? Why are you silent while one who is wicked swallows up one who is more righteous than himself? You have made mankind like the fish of the sea, like marine creatures that have no ruler. The Chaldeans pull them up with a hook. They catch them in their dragnet and they gather them in their fishing net. That is why they're glad. That's why they rejoice. That is why they sacrifice to their dragnet and burn incense to their fishing net. For by these things, their portion is rich and their food is plentiful. Will they therefore empty their net and continually slaughter nations without mercy? What Habakkuk is saying, he's saying, God, I trust you, but I still don't get it. Verse 12 and 13, show how committed to God Habakkuk is. God, you're, you're, you're from eternity. You're beyond us. You are the alpha, the omega. You're not like us. You're greater than us. Habakkuk knew that. And he said that, but he's still saying, God, I just don't get it. Habakkuk says, God, I know you're not gonna die. Now, what he meant by that was everyone who worships God knows that God doesn't die. He can't die. He wasn't necessarily referring just to God dying. He was referring to the promises of God. Habakkuk knew that God had made his people a promise that they would never be wiped out right? He knew that that promise was made. And so he was confident in that promise. Now, here's the thing about promises. There are a ton of promises in this book, conditional and unconditional promises right here. The reason, listen carefully, the reason why so many Christians live in fear is they don't know what promises are in this book because again, they don't read the book. Let me even hit on one like finances. And I know that's very uncomfortable for everyone. And I don't know who gives at this church. So I'm just speaking out of, out of ignorance from when it comes to that standpoint. Whenever people come up to me and they're just like, I'm so scared about my finances, the first question I always ask is, are you being faithful to the Lord with your finances? Because Malachi chapter three says, if you are faithful to the Lord with your finances, God will open up the floodgates of heaven. That's a promise. That's not a prosperity gospel. I'm gonna tithe 10 and get back 100. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> but God is saying, if you are faithful with your money, I will be faithful to provide for you. That's what God is saying. I have never met anyone who has been faithful with giving that has not had enough. We may not have plenty. I don't have plenty. I don't have excess, but God has always taken care of my family. That's a promise that God gives us. And the Bible is chocked full of those kinds of promises, right? The Bible even says, I promise you that if you draw near to me, God says, I will draw near to you. If you want a better relationship with Jesus, take a step towards him and he will take a step towards you. He meets you right? That's a promise. There's so many promises. That's why we must read the word of God. Verse 13, Habakkuk rephrases his original question. He kind of pads it a little bit too, right? All these wonderful things about God, but he's still like, I don't get it. So he kind of pads it a little bit. He says, God, I know you're pure. I know you can't tolerate evil, but why are you being silent? Now, here's the interesting thing about this question, right? 
oftentimes, I bet all of us in this room at one time or another has said, God, why are all these bad things happening? Why are there starving children in Murfreesboro, Tennessee? Why are these bad things happening? And you know what I think God does? Is he looks back down at us and says, they're your neighbors, why are these bad things happening? We so often say, God, the world's falling apart and God looks down and says, I gave you the world to steward until I come back. You're building $30 million church buildings. There shouldn't be starving children in your city. Sorry if that hurts anyone's feelings there too. But we need to step back and we need to do what God tells us to do. God didn't tell us to build extravagant buildings. God told us to visit the people in prison. He said to feed the poor and the hungry, to clothe the naked, to help the widow. That's what he has called us to do. And if there are children in this community that, that, that are lacking the basic necessities to live, and there are churches that spend millions and millions of dollars on things that are frivolous and stupid, there is a problem with Christianity. And it is not God's fault that there are starving children. It is our fault there are starving children. It is our fault that things are broken in this community. It is not God, it is us. He is perfect. So we need to look at the world around us and we need to start taking responsibility. Don't just point fingers and blame it on Donald Trump or whoever else. You take ownership for the world around you. It is your responsibility. Let me get on a soapbox for a second. It's not, and one of the things that bugs me is whenever people say, well, we need to get prayer back in schools. Listen, it is not your kid's English teacher's job to teach them theology. Parent, it is your job to teach them theology. Stop passing the buck on to someone else. We don't need prayer in schools. We need prayer in homes. The school system would change if you prayed with your child before they got on the bus. I'm so sick of people saying, well, Patrick, that's our student minister here, Patrick should be teaching our kids better. Look, he's doing the best he can with the thousand plus kids that he's working with. But when you get home, you should be praying with your child. You should buy them a Bible. You should be learned enough about the word to tell them how to live and how not to live. At the end of the day, Patrick is not responsible for your children, you are. Amen. You are. The school system's not responsible for your children, you are. They are your children. And it's just one example of how we constantly pass the blame to someone else. Isaiah actually addressed this. Chapter six of Isaiah is very similar to Revelation chapter four. In chapter six of Isaiah, Isaiah is standing in front of the throne room of God and God says to Isaiah, he says, Isaiah, I am looking for someone who is willing to stand in the gap between my anger and my people. But God says to Isaiah, I can't find anybody. No one wants to be responsible. Now in that moment, Isaiah could have said, yeah, God, people really suck sometimes, right? Man, we got a bad president right now. That's the problem, you know? That's why no one's standing in the gap. We blame everyone else, right? No, 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 Isaiah didn't do that. Isaiah said, I'll go. I'll stand in the gap. He took responsibility. It was Isaiah's people. Isaiah said, I don't want anything bad to happen to my people. God, I'll be the one to stand in the gap. He said, send me. And look what God says, go. Go do it. Go change the world, Isaiah. Go do it. We have to take responsibility. Verse 14 through 17 is a fishing analogy for you fishers in here. 
And so Habakkuk kind of gives this analogy of fish. He says, God, you created us like the fish of the sea to roam free without a ruler. But these Chaldeans come up and they snatch us up with their hooks and their nets and they boast about their power and they've become rich off this power. The Babylonians were ruthless, arrogant people. And whenever a ruthless, arrogant nation forgets where its power comes from, they are always destined to fall. And that is something that the United States needs to keep in mind. Whenever we get arrogant and we forget to give God the glory, we need to be very, very careful. So practically speaking, we are so good at saying it's everyone else's fault, but when is the last time we looked in the mirror and said, I'm gonna own my family. I'm gonna own my block. I'm gonna own the school. Instead of complaining about the school system so much, get on the PTO. Do something about it, right? Do something about your neighborhood. Do something about your block. Do something. When's the last time you looked in the mirror and said, I'm gonna own it? Again, the problem is not God. The problem is us. It's us. Last part. Habakkuk says, I will stand at my guard post and station myself on the lookout tower. I will watch to see what he will say to me and what I should reply about my complaint. Now, Habakkuk had voiced his concern, but the difference between his complaint and a lot of our complaints is not only did Habakkuk have a relationship with God, he fully expected God to give him an answer. Now, here's the thing, guys. It is hard to listen to God when we never shut up. When you pray, Lord, I hope you pray. When you pray, God, there's this, there's that, there's these concerns, what about this, what about that? You have to be quiet and you have to let the Lord speak to you. You have to be still. King David said, be still and know that he's God. We're to build a relationship with him. We are to tell God the things we're worried about, but we have to be quiet long enough to listen. People tell me all the time, I've never heard the voice of God. It is hard to hear the voice of God when you're watching Netflix with the laptop open and texting and talking simultaneously. It is very, very hard to hear God. So we must position ourselves to hear God. Look at what Habakkuk says. He says, I'm gonna be like a watchman. I'm gonna get up on a tower. I'm gonna look, where is God? I'm gonna listen, where is God? But the problem is we are so busy. Everyone's busy, but not very many people are achieving anything. Everyone keeps running in circles. I'll try to hook up with like a 20-something here sometimes. Someone will send me an email or a text. Hey, can we, can we get together sometime? And I'm like, well, yeah, what about this time? Well, I'm busy. What about this time? I'm busy. And then you find out like they're busy watching Netflix for six hours, right? You know what's crazy? The average American watches six hours of television a day. And the average American spends eight minutes either praying or reading the word of God a day. Eight minutes versus six hours. Listen, I'm not saying you need to pray or read your Bible for six hours. Only watch five hours of Netflix and take 30 minutes or 45 minutes to pray and read the word of God. You're still watching Netflix for five hours. Spend a little bit of time in your relationship with God. So are we seeking God? Are we looking for God? Are we perched, watching for what he's going to do? So many people say, I've never seen God. Have you ever walked outside and looked at the sky? 
You ever looked at your children? You ever looked at other people? We are made in the image of the creator. The reason why you haven't seen God is you're not looking for God. The reason why we haven't heard God is we're not listening for God. We have so many things going on. We are a people that are terrified of being alone and quiet. Watch people at restaurants, even on a date or a family. Someone will go to the bathroom and instantly you're like, because God forbid you're alone for four minutes and look around the restaurant, right? God forbid you make eye contact with someone or have a conversation with your waiter. We have to constantly, we're texting about life or we're, we're updating everyone on our fake life about what should be happening in our real life. It's crazy. No wonder why we don't hear God. No wonder why we don't see God. So here's the questions, right? And again, I don't have all the answers for these. Are you and I close enough to God to be honest with God? Are we close enough to God to say, God, I don't get it. I love you. I believe in you. I trust you, but I am super confused, God. Do you have a close enough relationship with God to be honest with him? Really honest. Are you and I too distracted to hear from God? Do we position ourselves to hear God, to see God? Listen, I'll tell you a great start. Ask God to examine your heart. Say, God, examine my heart, examine my mind. If there's any sin, forgive me of that. God, if there's any distraction, point that out to me and I'll set those things aside. Listen, guys, I'm not asking you all to become monks or nuns. That's not what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to intentionally set aside a half hour a day. A half hour. Turn off the radio on the way to work. You'll be happier the less news you listen to. Just turn it off, right? And pray for a minute. Listen to the word of God on audio. If you have that version app, it will read you the word of God in your car. It will read it to you. The times we live in, it is that simple. Do we position ourselves to see God? Do we position ourselves to hear God? Do we engage in the broken world around us? Listen, Christians, you don't need to be afraid of people who are different from you. You don't need to be afraid of the gay couple or the Muslim family, or you don't need to be afraid of the Hindu or the atheist. You don't need to be afraid of them. You need to engage them. You need to love them. You need to treat them with respect and dignity. If we're going to win people to a religion based on a God of love, we are going to have to love people. That's what we're going to have to do. I know that there's a shift in values. I know that you're not going to agree with everything that people are doing but we are to love them. Why? Because they are made in the image of our creator. God loves them, therefore we should love them. The Bible says, how are we to love a God that we can't see when we can't even love the people around us that we can see? How are we to do that? We're going to have to love people. Doesn't mean you accept everything they do, but you love them. Do we take personal responsibility for the world around us? Boy, my neighborhood's really gone to hell. Then what are you going to do about it? Mow that elderly woman's yard next to you. Do something with your yard. Clean up a little bit. Get to know your neighbors. Bake them some cookies. Have a cookout when the weather gets warm and invite them over. Do something about it. Don't wait for someone else to do something. Say, God, 
you're looking for someone to stand in the gap, I'll go. Send me. I will be responsible. Guys, I know there's always going to be evil. I know we're not going to be able to stop every single atrocious, single atrocious thing that's going to happen. I know that. But I remember when Columbine took place. Any of you guys old enough to remember Columbine? And everyone talked about these monsters, right, that went in and shot up this school. Now listen, what they did was awful. It was atrocious. It was terrible. These were also the kids that got the crap kicked out of them every single day when they went to school. Now listen, what they did was awful. Please don't confuse what I'm saying. But I wonder what would have happened if a Christian young man or woman would have walked up and said, why don't you sit with me today at lunch? Why don't you talk to me? Could we have this tragedy avoided if more Christians would go out of their way to love people? Maybe not, but maybe so. Maybe so. I'm not making light of what those kids did. But what would happen if we reached out more, if we loved more, if we took responsibility for the kid that no one will eat with at lunch, for the person at the office that may be going through awful things, but people gossip and slander, why not take responsibility and be the one to step in and to show them light and love, to treat them with dignity and respect? You might win someone. You might change the culture of the office. The last question is this. Jesus Christ himself said, in this life, there will be suffering. Every single one of you in this room will look in the mirror and think you have lost your mind at one time or another about this whole God thing. Every single one of you in this room will have adversity. You will suffer pain. You will suffer loss. Every single one of you. In those times, and if it hasn't happened yet, Buckle up because it will. In those times, where do you run? Do you run to weed? It's the new crutch of our era. Do you run to alcohol? Do you run to porn? Do you run to sex? Do you run to food? Do you run to Netflix? What is your tower? And let me ask you this is it working? Is it giving you the results you wanted? The only thing I got out of smoking weed was an addiction to crack cocaine. But it's our thing right now. I can't tell you how many Christians I've heard say, well, I can't live without it. Really? Wow, God doesn't deliver, but that plant does? Hmm. Your whole life revolves around a plant. The great philosopher Henry Rollins said that is stupid. He's just an old punk rocker, but I like him. <laughs> What's your strong tower? What do you run to? And, let me, and, and, and I'm not saying this to be mean to you, but I want you to be honest with yourself. Is what you've been running to fulfilling you? Is what you've been running to giving you the answers that you're looking for? Is what you've been running to giving you contentment and purpose and peace? If not, I offer you something different today the strong tower, the prince of peace, God. Would you bow your heads with me? If you were in this room and um, maybe you are not a believer, 
maybe you came here today because someone <laughs> tricked you or you just wandered in, you thought it was the brewery, and you're like, oh, no, I'm in church, right? <laughs> You'd be surprised at how many times that's happened. <laughs> Regardless of how you found your way in here today, if you do not have a relationship with God, Greg is right up here to my right, your left. Got glasses on right over here at the corner of the stage. Listen, if you have any questions, if you're like Habakkuk today and you're like, I don't know what's going on, right? Come up here and talk to Greg. He doesn't know everything, but he knows a lot. And he can talk with you and he can pray with you and he can answer you know, the majority of questions you may have about this whole Christian thing. There's also men and women on both sides of the stage. If you have prayer requests, anything you need prayer for, it can be something small like a job interview, it can be something huge like, like cancer, please let someone pray with you. There's also communion all the way around you. Wherever you see a lamp on a table, everyone is welcome to take the body and blood of Jesus Christ as long as you have asked for God to forgive you of your sins. Here's what I challenge you with today if you take communion. Maybe sit there for a second. You can take the bread, take the wine, but maybe take a minute and ask God, God, I don't understand. Can you help me? Can you speak to me? Can you, can you let me see you, God? Can you open my eyes, open my ears? We need to position ourselves to hear from the Lord. Position ourselves to see God working. Lord Jesus, I love you, God. I love this church. God, I love this church with, with every fiber of my being. I love these people. God, give us grace. Give us mercy. Help us, God, to, to focus on you. Help us, God, to have eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, we love you. We thank you. God, we praise you, Jesus. Lord, um, I pray, God, just for everyone in this room that you would keep us close to you and draw us closer, Lord. We love you and we thank you, Jesus. In, in your holy name we pray, amen. I love you guys so much. You're welcome to help yourself. Thank you.